I'm John Dysinger. We have a, a farm, a small farm in Middle Tennessee. This, we just planted our 18th strawberry crop and um, we started out as just a strawberry farm and have slowly evolved through the years until berries are just a part of what we do. <clears throat> so just a little more kind of introduction. Um, I know a little bit about strawberries because we've been doing it for 18 years. Um, I know even less about the other things, the other berries, but, um, well, let me ask you this. How many of you are growing small fruits and by small, okay, wow. Well, so maybe I, uh, so this is an introduction. This is going to kind of cover, cover the basics and you may be beyond this already. Hey, Nick, we didn't need you. Well, maybe we did. So again, you know, you can only say so much in an hour. Um, thank you very much. But we'll, we'll endeavor to, to do what we can to inform and enlighten. But let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we spend this time together here. We just want your presence. We want it to be more than informational. We want it to be transformational as we try to, we endeavor to, to uh, be molded into your image. So bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I think in the program, it's, maybe it said introduction to small fruits, but in my definition of small fruits is berries, okay? There's tree fruits and then there's small fruits. And um, we're going to specifically focus this morning on the big four, I would call them, blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, and strawberries. There's... Uh, you know, there's a lot of other variations. There's boysenberries and there's goji berries and there's all these things. And I'm not in any way saying those aren't good things to grow, but these are the, these are the big ones. And so um, that's what we're going to focus on. So some, some of the pros of, of growing berries is, and, and of course, if you're just growing them on a home scale, I feel like I'm in your way here, and I can't move further back because of this cord. You're welcome to scoot over or something. Uh, sure, I can scoot forward. No? I, I'm limited by the length of my cord here. I mean, well, maybe I could move over there. Yeah, let's try moving it over here. I just don't want to disconnect. Yeah, bring the stand over. Okay, well, I was nervous because I thought I was speaking to a, a room of experts here. I'm, I'm scared to disconnect it. Oh. Ah. Okay. Sorry. I'm there's too many. 
Okay, if somebody could just bring that back. And maybe, maybe anybody who can't see here just needs to move. There's a few seats over here. Okay, well, we'll get it going here. So, how many people am I blocking now? I can, is it better to scoop back or forward? Okay. So, the, the best thing about berries, and again, I'm talking from a market point of view here, not from a home garden point of view, but a lot of it will be for either. Um, very easy to sell. You know, that's the first thing that people go for at the market is your berries. So that's a big thing. Um, definitely easier to go, grow than tree fruits. We, we've been farming for 18 years and we have yet to plant our first fruit tree. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed about that, but there's a very good reason for that, and that is that it's very hard to grow organic tree fruit in our part of the country. And I just haven't had the time and energy. I, someday I wanna do it, but I'm, we're not there yet after 18 years. And so, I want to just throw that out there. I know most people, and it depends on where you live in the country, um, it may work great for you, but most people, the first thing they want to do is plant a bunch of fruit trees. And from my observation, um, they don't often have a lot of success with it. It's very challenging. There's, I think it's the University of Arkansas right now is trying to do an organic research farm with, with trees. And last I heard at, at some conference a couple of years ago, they were still saying, I don't know if this is, is commercially viable. Um, so small fruits, although they're challenging, they're easier than tree fruits. Um, and of course, we have the media on our side because there's just a lot of, you know, every, every year you hear more research about all the benefits. They've found new things in these fruits that are beneficial. And, and then another pro, uh, pro is that even when people are, you know, there's a lot of people getting into gardening. And I mean, not as many as there should be. But even though they may have their own home garden, chances are, at least for the first few years, they're not going to have fruit. So, you know, you can fill a niche there. Now, cons, um, berries are very labor intensive, some more than others, and we'll talk about that. And then, of course, um, they're also um, very perishable. But those cons are actually pros if you're a local grower um, selling locally because those those two cons are actually what keeps the value high so that's a good thing now i have a few slides here just and and some may disagree with me and we can talk about that but I've kind of um, rated the different fruits as on a number of things. Ease of growing, and this is from easiest to hardest. I think blueberries are the easiest. 
with that's once you get them established the first year a lot of people lose their blueberries you got to kind of baby them the first year would you agree with that yeah the the children's do a lot of blueberries and yeah i mean water of course is the big thing you can't just blueberries have a very shallow root system and you 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 got to keep them watered it's and pH, blueberries tend to like a low pH, although there are people who disagree with that. Um, blackberries would be next. Uh, blackberries, you know, they grow wild in much of the country. And if it grows wild, that's usually a pretty good indication that it's going to be able to grow a little less wild, hopefully. <laughs> um, raspberries. Raspberries grow pretty easy, um, you know, getting the fruit to actually be of good quality is a little bit more of a struggle. I would say strawberries are probably the most um, labor-intensive as far as growing. I see some heads nodding. I, I think, again, there may be a little disagreement. Now, ease of harvesting. So blueberries is... Um, up there again, you know, you're standing up. The, you know, one great thing about blueberries is they stay on the bush for quite a while. They, they don't, you don't have to pick them like today. You know, you can pick them tomorrow. And so that's a good thing. Blackberries, again, if, if you have the thornless varieties, and I, I know there are some arguments for the thorny varieties, but I just don't get it, you know. To me, why would you have thorny blackberries if you could have thornless blackberries? You know, some people talk about the seeds are not as big. Well, you know, I'm not into, I don't care how big the seeds are. I just crunch them, you know. Um, but some people are into these kind of things. But to me, why grow thornies when you can grow thornless? Um, raspberries. Raspberries can be challenging because they're so perishable. You have to just pick them so gently. Um, and then strawberries, of course, you know, they're not on a bush. They're on the ground. And so that's what makes them challenging. It's a lot of bending over. Um, so that's my rating on ease of harvesting, ease of selling. And, and again, I realize that not all of you are looking at selling, but uh, some of you, I think, probably are. I would, and this is where strawberries come, come up to the top, because I think there's no berry easier to sell than strawberries. Strawberries are more widely appreciated, from my experience, than any other. Blueberries, I would put second. Blackberries, you know, again, some people aren't into those big those crunchy seeds raspberries and i and i qualify this is in our area you know raspberries tend to be a more northern thing and and a lot of southerners aren't used to raspberries and so there's not the same kind of market although there's plenty of northerners that have moved south to escape the brutal winters and um, they appreciate raspberries perishability Raspberries and strawberries are both quite perishable. 
Um, but I, I would say maybe raspberries even more than strawberries. Um, blackberries are, are a little less perishable. And then blueberries, again, are the most, uh, the longest lasting. So if you're, if you're keeping score here, it would, it would appear that blueberries are definitely on top here. But we come to the next slide. Time from planting to first harvest. And blueberries are way down there. Um, raspberries, if you plant a fall-bearing or an ever-bearing raspberry in the spring, you can, you can harvest. It won't be a full harvest, but you can harvest that fall four months later. That's pretty amazing. That's a quick turnaround. Strawberries... And again, I, I struggled with this presentation because I know you're coming from all parts of the country and strawberries are treated very differently in, in different parts of the country. So I'm basically sharing my experience with, you know, I can tell you a little bit how they're done elsewhere. But in the, I would say from the middle U.S. down, Almost all strawberries, commercial strawberries, are grown on plastic. It's called plastic culture strawberry system. And they've, they've kind of fine-tuned it so that we plant our strawberries. Uh, our target date is the 20th of September. And we're, just to give a little, we're at 36 degree latitude. We're, I call us in zone 6B. Okay, so that gives you an idea of how it compares to where you are. Um, so if we plant them in September, most years we're picking berries. We start to pick the third week of April. So that's a pretty fast turnaround. Blackberries, you plant them in the spring and they don't produce till the next summer. Okay, so that's 15 months blueberries on the other hand three to five years we are just getting our blueberry um whatever you want to call it blueberry what do they call it orchard uh patch blueberry patch is just getting started our our bushes are just a few years old and 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 this is the reason because in our early years wow that's competing here. Can you hear me okay? In the early years, uh, we didn't have the money to invest in something that wasn't going to give us a real return for five years. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? We needed our money to give us a quick turnaround. So that was one reason why we're just now getting into blueberries. It's just now that we can afford it. Yes, Okay, that's, that's a good question. Is this the age of the plant or is this the time in the ground? It's, it's a little bit of both. You know, there are some biblical principles I don't know if you're familiar with about after you plant a tree, how many years um, you're supposed to wait till you start, you know, you pick off the fruit. And, and that's the way it is with blueberries as well. Um, obviously, if it's a bigger plant, 
Ideally, it would take a little less time before you could, but, but you want to get the root system established before you start stressing it with, with lots of fruit. Okay, so, so that gives you just some thoughts to work with as far as um, what you want to grow. Now, hopefully, you want to grow them all. Let's see, we quit, what time did this stops at 10.30? Did we did I grade them according to volume? And no, I didn't. You know, because th there's so many variables. You know, the intensity of the plantings and from year to year that changes. So I didn't even try to quantify that. You know, how much yield you can get per acre. That's pretty complicated. Um, Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about blackberries. Do you know the difference between primocanes and floricanes? Okay, so primocane is the first year cane. You know, it sprouts out of the ground and it, it grows this very succulent cane. But if, if you know anything about, about blackberries, you know that they don't normally bear the first year. They put out the primocane, it goes through the winter, and then the next year the primocane is the floricane, where the flowers come. Okay? So, they bear on the floricane. The, the second year... The, the, the older canes are bearing fruit, and then you've got new canes coming up that will produce the following year. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Now, I say mainly they bear on flora canes because they are, they are breeding some varieties now that are bearing on the primocane in the fall. But it's kind of new breeding, and, and again, this is not GMO or anything like this. This is traditional breeding techniques. Um, there are a few varieties that will bear in the fall, the first year. But it's, it's new enough that they're not recommending it on a commercial um, scale. And, and again, choose thornless erect varieties. That's my opinion. You, you can differ with me on that. Some, some varieties tend to stand up more on their own. Now, of course, you have to prune them back. You know, from the research I've done, they recommend about five feet, five to six feet. You prune the tops off, and then they're going to start sending out laterals, and you prune those off at about 12 inches. So you don't have this thing sprawling all over. You kind of keep it contained. Um, and then I'll just throw out the varieties we have right now. We just have a small blackberry patch. We have Natchez and Wachita. A lot of them are Indian names. Those Indian names all come out of the uh, University of Arkansas. They do most of the breeding on... So they're kind of the experts. Dr. John Clark, I think he is, in, in Arkansas, is the expert there. I see a hand, and I'm just trying to debate whether I want to take questions in the middle. or I think I'd rather try to get through the slides, and then if you can write down your questions, we'll try to make sure there's time for that. It is 10.30, right? When this, okay. 
So, well, actually, I'm going to back up. Let me, are there specific BlackBerry questions? I'll take a BlackBerry question. When do you prune them? Okay, I prune them through the summer. As you know, once they, once they get to the, as high as I want them, I prune the top off and then they start putting out the laterals. Um, yes, John. Prune them the first year, and then the, you, yeah, we prune them the first year, and then they bear the second year, and then as soon as they're finished bearing, you want to you want to prune out those floricanes, and it's it's pretty easy to tell the difference. They'll they'll look kind of dead, brown, woody, and and the new the primacanes are, you know, more green and succulent. Yes, question. That's good observation. He, 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 they planted Natchez and Wachita. The, the Wachita are definitely more erect. We have done a simple trellis on the, the um, Natchez, just T-posts, you know, 30 inches apart or three feet, I think we did it, and then run some wire or something between the T-posts just to kind of keep them from flopping out. Yes, so we have done that. Okay, so let's go on to blueberries. Now, blueberries are a little more complicated because there's different types. I said three main types. That doesn't include the main blueberries. Those are kind of their whole, a whole different animal. Those grow on the ground. You know, the bushes are very short and... and so we're not even going to talk about those. But the three main types are the northern high bush, um, which is probably what you buy in the store if you buy blueberries. And I, I was just going by this guide here, looking at the zones. Of course, different. there's many, many varieties of blueberries, so I didn't even put down suggested varieties depends on where you are in the country. I would just encourage you to ask around what others are growing. If you find somebody who seems to be doing really well at it, figure out what varieties they're growing for your climate. Um, so there's the northern high bush, and those can, some of them can grow zone three. That's, I don't even know where that is, but that's way up there somewhere. Down to zone eight. So where we live in zone six, we're kind of, we can do northern or some of the southern and, and even rabbit eye varieties. Um, the rabbit eye are the ones that, um, that are, I guess, indigenous to the south, the southeast. They, they, they are much bigger. They can get huge, you know, uh, 12 feet tall we've I've seen huge bushes and of course that's a waste because how do you pick up there you know so it's good to kind of keep them pruned to a size you can actually manage um, and then there's another another type that I think is rather new southern high bush I think it's kind of a hybrid I maybe you know more about that than I do Okay, yeah, I think she's saying that the, the southern high bush 
maybe are, they, they um, need a little more care. And that's, that's what I've, you know, the rabbit eyes being there, they have grown wild and they've just kind of taken the wild ones and cultivated them. They are maybe a little hardier, but we have grown both on a small scale. And I will say that I, if you eat one compared to the other, I think the, the northern high bush or, and even the southern high bush are a little nicer. Um, of course, you normally don't eat them side by side. So if you just have rabbit eyes, you'll be very happy with rabbit eyes because they're still delicious. Um, so right now we have half northern high bush and half rabbit eye, but we would like to get some southern high bush. And the main reason is because they ripen earlier. You know, rabbit eyes in our climate don't ripen before July. But I've seen southern high bush varieties that are at the market in May. And that's, you know, that's really nice. If we could have blueberries, as soon as our strawberries stop, we're on to blueberries. You know, I have this dream of just doing berries and have, having berries. You can have strawberries in a high tunnel the, the beginning of April, and you can have raspberries in a high tunnel till the beginning of November berries from beginning of April to the beginning of November. It would take a little bit, but I think it's possible. Okay, some more on blueberries. It's really important to keep them well watered um, that first year. And yeah, I, I don't even want to get into the fertility debate, but I, I, I can say that I've seen very healthy blueberries that were growing in a basically neutral pH soil. So it's not just an issue of pH, but I would say, generally speaking, um, especially when you're getting them established, it's good to try to bring your pH down some. And you can do that by adding some sulfur to the soil. Um, blueberries thrive or they will grow very well in a low pH soil. You just think about where they grow wild, you know, in peat bogs and stuff. It's, it's very low pH. Okay, what's the... How low? Um, four and a half, five? Yeah, it's pretty low. How often do you put the sulfur on? Um, not very often. You can easily overdo it on sulfur if you're not careful. So that's something you would, you would need to have your soil tested and, and follow recommendations. You know, I don't know what your soil's like, so I wouldn't want to try to recommend anything. Now, blueberries is one thing. Let me just finish talking about blueberries and then we'll take some more questions. I have seen two bushes next to each other. My, my nephew, David Collins, well, my niece's husband, did this. He, he, had, he had five bushes, and one of them, he built a little wooden box out of two by four out of it, and he filled it with, with wood chips. 
And I'll tell you, I could not, I was astounded at the difference between the one mulched with wood chips and one that didn't have a mulch on it. It was, I was asked, are you sure this is the same variety here? I, I was astounded at how much better they were growing with the wood chips. It, it, it made a believer out of me. So, you know, you may not have enough wood chips, you know, there's the whole back to Eden thing in the garden, but hey, your perennials, things like blueberries, I'm convinced it's a good thing to mulch with, with wood chips. Okay, let me just, okay, once plants mature, you need to prune out old wood and balance plant between new and older growth. You know, every year they're sending out new shoots and if you just let them grow um, without pruning them every year, they will eventually start declining in yield. Whereas if you can, if you pruning out some of that old growth every year, um, you'll keep them more productive. Okay, questions about blueberries. You were saying you want the pH low. Yes. Okay, um, I haven't done that. The, 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 he's making a comment that he's heard about putting pine needles on them because pine needles tend to be low pH. Of course, a lot of leaves technically are low pH. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've read that. I've never done it myself, but I think it's probably a good thing to mulch with. Question here. Okay, so are they developing varieties that will work more in alkaline soil. Well, as I told you, um, I've seen them grow very, very vigorously in alkaline soil. You, you need to talk to Whitmar McConnell about that or maybe Steve Meyer, because it's not just about acidity and alkalinity. Steve, you want to... Okay, yeah, and I have to try to repeat that for the audio here, but... Steve Meyer is just saying that they have um, gone to using, uh, well, first of all, it's, it's more about balanced soil than it is pH, getting the right balance. And then the big thing about the low pH, as he pointed out, is iron. You know, they, iron is taken up more easily at lower pH and, and blueberries are very sensitive to iron deficiency. So he's using iron chelate, and um, then he's not worrying about the pH, which sounds like a good, good advice. Yes, question. Ideally, ideally, they recommend taking off the blossoms for the first two to three years. I know that's hard. That's really hard, but, you know, it's... Um, Farming teaches you patience, right? And, and you got to be thinking what's best for the long-term health of the plant. You know, as soon as they start putting on those heavy fruit loads, that's where the energy is going in the plant, and the energy isn't going into establishing that root system. Question in the back. Okay, how long can you expect a, a blueberry patch to produce? Um, you know, I, I have, I'm not there yet, so I can't speak from personal experience, but I've read numbers 20 to 30 years in there. 
um, hopefully we don't have that long on this earth, right? So we can say they're going to produce till the Lord comes, hopefully. Okay, one more question here and then we'll go on to... How much of the iron chelate do you use? Um, do you have a quick answer or do you need to talk to her afterwards? Okay, so you mix the iron chelate in water, one tablespoon per plant, you know, pour it out around the square yard area. One tablespoon of iron chelate in water. Early, do it in the early spring. Okay, well, we'll go on, and then if we have time, we can come back for a few more questions. As I already said, raspberries don't do so well in southern heat. Um, we grow the primocane. Do you remember the difference between primocane and flora? Just prime is first, and flora, you know, is flower. So the primocane varieties bear in the fall. They're often called ever-bearing because if you leave them, they'll also bear the next spring. And you think, well, that's great. I get two crops. But the research will tell you that those two crops really aren't any more yield usually than one crop. So what's traditionally done in the beauty, the beauty of... Um, of fall bearing ones is you actually just mow them down after they finish harvesting. That's easy maintenance, right? You just take your bush hog or whatever and run over them and they're done. And then the next spring they sprout back up and they keep going. Um, so that's really nice. And, and a few years back we, we kind of trialed a lot of different varieties. And the ones that came out on top for us were Caroline. Caroline is a fall-bearing raspberry. It has a nice size fruit. It's got good flavor, very vigorous and productive. So, you know, again, different parts of the country may be different, but I'm just sharing our experience. And Caroline was a winner and is a gold one, yellow gold. And that was the best of the gold ones that we trialed so we no Anne is is gold caroline is is your these i'm sure this picture is of caroline's um and as i said you can cut them down after harvest and not have to think about them over the winter every every year you cut them down and then they grow back in the spring and they produce now, when I say fall, they will actually start in August in our climate, and they'll keep going until frost. Now, there are also summer-bearing varieties that bear on the floricane. So you can look into that. There are varieties, in, there's the black raspberries. They don't have any black primocane-bearing raspberries, but... Um, they grow, um, you know, you let the canes grow the first year and then they'll produce fruit the second year. To me, that's just more work. Plus, we've got so much else going on that time of year. We don't really want to be, unless we were just a berry farm and, you know, maybe 
in my retirement we'll just do berries or something I don't know but but um, we just we haven't tried to grow them in the summer now raspberries do need some kind of trellis to hold them erect because they're not as they don't have as big a cane as a blackberry they tend to want to flop over so you can do something as simple as a t-post with a crossbar you know about about four feet high and you know have the crossbar out three feet 30 inches and then well we had some welded up we just used rebar you know made a t out of rebar and then welded um, washers on the ends of the rebar and then just run some wire or something through the washers and that just holds them in now what we found actually was that you know you had a lot of small lower stuff then that was kind of flopping out so we ended up using t-posts and made our own crossbars I would show you a picture except we don't even we're not even growing raspberries right now which is another story but um, you know the the lowest crossbar is you know this wide and then it gets a little wider so we can just hold them in but it's nice to kind of let them spread out so you let more sun and air into the plant okay um, one thing I would encourage is some kind of the woven landscape fabric you know what I'm talking about do that on either side of your rows because raspberries grow they send out roots and and suckers from the roots and so if you're not careful you're going to end up with this mess okay and nobody likes to work in a mess so if you use some kind of landscape fabric that will prevent them from just keeping expanding that's really helpful and you know any of these plants if they grow too thickly they actually become a weed to themselves so you want to keep them thinned out enough that they're not um, they're not choking themselves out so to speak as I already mentioned they're very labor-intensive in picking and very perishable you know you if you pick them in a pint and by the time you get them up to the barn it's not a pint anymore you know because they're hollow right that's the way you tell the difference between a raspberry and a blackberry so if you're not super careful with them they kind of smash down and you don't want that now then the last thing here you know there's a there's been a lot of research with raspberries in the last few years about growing them in some kind of high tunnel or hoop house because they uh, the fruit is very perishable and if you get much rain on them at all it's a big problem and so I've read people that say the only way to grow raspberries organically is to grow them in a hoop house. And we've done it in a hoop house and they did well. Um, so, yeah. So, questions on raspberries? Very, the fruit is very small. Um, 
Well, I would assume that's probably a fertility issue. Um, you know, it could be partial watering issues. Are they getting plenty of water? Yeah, I, I mean, of course, different varieties are different. Do you know what, what variety they are? Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of, you know, it could be a variety issue. I, I, would, I would suggest it's probably a fertility issue. Um, but yes, the, the summer bearing raspberries, you would prune the same as the blackberries. Let them bear the second year and then prune out the, the old canes. Yes. Is, the, is a finished mower going to mow them too close? Not from my experience. Well, I mean, if, if you're using like a lawnmower, don't put it down, you know, keep it up a little bit. But um, from my experience, raspberries are very vigorous. And, you know, we actually had this brilliant idea of growing them as, a, as an annual, planting them in the spring, harvest in a hoop house, harvest them in the fall, and then pull them out, and then we've got the hoop house we can use for other stuff all winter. That, you know, I was thinking, this is brilliant. But no matter how hard you try to get those roots out, they're still in there. And so all winter long, we're harvesting raspberry shoots with our, our lettuce mix, you know, and that's kind of not a good thing. So we finally gave up on that. Um, it just was too hard to get them out once they're there. So once you have them, you're going to have them for a while. Yes, um, question. Okay, why, why do we not grow them anymore? Well, there's something called the spotted wing drosophila. How many of you have heard of the spotted wing drosophila? Okay, it's a little fruit fly that is uh, is menacing fruit growers all over the country. It spread very rapidly. Um, I can't remember it, where it came from, but it, you know it was one of those imported pests. And um, the difference between spotted wing Drosophila and regular Drosophila, which you remember from high school biology, is just a fruit fly, right? But this spotted wing Drosophila lays its eggs in green fruit, not just overripe fruit. So you have this, this really yucky dilemma of you go to harvest the fruit and you bring it inside and the next day it's crawling with little maggots, these little white maggots. You know, it's hard to market berries that you know have that because you can imagine what that would do to your customer base. If um, So that's a real dilemma, and, and they're trying to do research. There's a lot of interesting things. The children's are, you know, because basically it starts out your early fruit, and this is an advantage of strawberries. They produce early enough in the season that it's not an issue, but as the season goes along, the population of these Drosophila build up. So by fall time, when we have our raspberries, it's, it could be bad, and we just don't want to, you know, it, yeah, we can't risk our 
customer loyalty for a fruit fly. Yeah. Well, yes, they will attack blueberries viciously. And most people don't ever know they have spotted wing drosophila. All they know is all of a sudden their blueberries are just getting soft and dropping off. You know, they're very small, the maggot. My eyes can't see them anymore because I, I haven't, I've been too proud to get glasses. <laughs> yes. Okay, so if, if they're wet, and the other thing I've seen is they, they tend to have kind of a flat spot in them. If you see that at all, and, and if, if you have young eyes, you can open it up and see these tiny, they're very tiny little white maggots. Um, you know, well, I won't say, I mean, we kind of, for ourselves, it's a little protein, you know. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, so that's, that's an advantage of hoop house growing. He, he was just saying that you can screen it off. It's going to have to be pretty fine screen. But um, N-Trust is the name of a, a, an organic pesticide that is effective against Drosophila. If any of you were in our other presentation I talked about, it's very expensive, but you use small amounts, it's very effective. Also, it's called N-Trust, E-N-T-R-U-S-T. E um, very effective against Colorado potato beetle larvae. Incredibly effective from our experience. So, but one thing the children's have learned about and they've been doing is hummingbird feeders. Doesn't that sound great? Just hang hummingbird feeders around your berry plants and the hummingbirds eat the spotted wing drosophila. So that's what you call natural pest control. Okay, so uh, a grower in Mississippi puts out 10 hummingbird feeders per acre and doesn't have a problem with spotted wing drosophila. We're gonna have to go on, but what was the... Drosophila, D-R-O-S-O-P-H-I-L, Drosophila, L-A, Drosophila. You cut, you cut the raspberries down after they die naturally. You know, the frost will kill the... So you want to make sure they're dormant. Although, I don't know, I'm not sure that's totally important. Like I say, they're so vigorous. I think you could probably cut them down any time of year and they'd still grow back. You're saying that you're, you're, you were getting berries after the frost? Wow, I don't know about that. I've never heard anything like that because, yeah, raspberries after frost. Well, we need to know that variety, I guess. Um, okay, we got to move on because we're just coming to strawberries, and that's what I know something about. Um, so as I said, we grow on plastic in an annual system, plant in fall and harvest next spring. We buy northern grown plants. Our, our, we buy strawberry tips. They're, you know, strawberries put out runners, and before they root, they cut them off. Ours are grown in Prince Edward Island. Anne of Green Gables, you know, Prince Edward Island. And 
they ship them down and the reason you buy them from up there is because the further north you go the less disease pressure you have the variety we use is called chandler and it's got many many benefits to it but it's one achilles heel is that it is not disease resistant to some of the southern diseases especially one that's called anthracnose not anthrax, but anthracnos, which can devastate your crop. And I speak from personal experience. So that's a big reason not to keep them over from year to year, because your disease pressure is highest in the summertime. So, yeah, you know, that's the first question people always ask. Why don't you just use your own runners? Well, the southeast is is one of the hardest areas in the country to grow gardens because of the heat and humidity combined. Um, so, so that heat and humidity is a perfect um, incubator for disease. So that's why we buy new plants each year. We propagate the runners and replant. We get the runners middle of August, propagate them, and then set out the plants the, the middle to end of September. Okay? Propagate means we root them. It's, it's a little bit of a process. You have, because they don't have any roots, they're just gonna wilt, so you have to mist them. You have a mist on a timer that keeps the, the leaves moist until the roots I, I wouldn't recommend that if you're just getting into it. Of course, we did it the first year. As I said yesterday, we do everything the hard way, you know. Yeah. Well, if you want to propagate your own runners, you just wait till they get roots and then plant them, and then you don't have to worry so much. But if they don't have any roots, what's going to keep them alive? Okay. Um, now, strawberries are very vulnerable to spring frosts and wet spring weather. That's what makes strawberries so hard. They, they start flowering, especially if you're growing them on plastic. The plastic warms the soil up earlier, and so that encourages them to start flowering earlier. Well, that's a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is, see, what shuts strawberries down is the heat. Um, so rather than trying to get them to go longer, you've got to move the season up earlier. And there's where you get the conflict with the frost. In California, they grow all summer long because they grow them in a part of California that stays cool all summer. They get 70,000 pounds of strawberries to an acre in California. 70,000 pounds. So, um, so what are you gonna do about the frost? Well, on a small scale, I would recommend using floating row covers. Do you all know what those are? If you don't, my son has a booth here. He'll sell you some. It's, uh, it's not easy to find just anywhere, but it's very, very important to have if you're, uh, if you're trying to grow most anything, anything that 
is a cool weather crop. Uh, floating row cover. It comes in different thicknesses and you just cover your plants with it and it will give a few degrees of protection. But the trick is if you're going to have a hard frost, you add more layers and it creates that sandwich effect. It's, it's trapping the ground heat in is what it's doing. And with, I was telling him yesterday, um, we have protected tomatoes in an unheated hoop house down to 17 degrees outside with just floating row cover, multiple layers. So it works. Um, and of course, if you want to get really fancy, you use uh, sprinklers for frost protection. It's, it's one of these amazing things of nature. As, as water freezes, it releases heat. So you have to run the sprinklers all night long. And in the morning, your field may have, you know, this much ice on it, but the berries, the, the flowers won't be frozen. It's incredible to, to see. Um, you just, you have to keep the sprinklers running until it's above 32 degrees, until the, the, the ice starts melting, and then you can turn the sprinklers off. But if you stop in the night, you're in trouble. I wish I had time. I could tell you a miracle story about that, but um, you have to read the book. Um, we're out of time, so I'm just going to quickly, I've just got one more slide. Or, um, use, use preventative spray program in the spring. You know, I kind of think it doesn't matter what you spray as long as you're spraying something. It, that's kind of just my gut feeling. I've tried all kinds of different, and I'm talking about organic things. I'm not talking about, you know, harsh chemicals or anything, but just spraying them. And, and the theory is that, you know, you're covering the leaf surface with beneficial something or other organisms. Um, and that, that outcompetes the pathogens that, that want to land there. Um, names of sprays, um, serenade. Um, yeah, now that you, I've got the pressure on of the time clock and I'm, my mind is going blank. Serenade, um, is it re, regalia? Regalia is one. Um, triple nickel or something like that. Do any of you know that one? Double nickel. Double nickel. <laughs> okay, well, inflation, it's triple nickel, I guess. Um, double nickel. And, and, um, there's one more I can't think of right now. It starts with A. Okay, deer protection. I, I would just um, end with this. Um, this is a picture of the, uh, unfortunately, I don't have a picture of it hanging, but this is really simple fencing to keep deer out. You know, people spend a lot of money on fancy deer fences. Just get eight-foot T-posts. You know, it's a little bit of an investment. You get this... 10x Centiflex, that's the, the trade name, but you can Google that online. And um, it's seven and a half feet tall. We just put one little um, yellow electric wire insulator, clip it on the top of the T-posts, the 
and literally just hang the fence on those. So, of course, an eight-foot T-post in the ground is going to be six and a half feet tall, something like that. Um, so that fencing comes down and just kind of drapes out. We can put the T-post the 30 feet apart. It's not a barrier. It, I mean, it, it's the deer can't see it very well. Some, pe some places call it invisible deer fencing. And it's been 100% effective for us as long as we've had it totally up. If you leave a gap or something, they'll get in. Okay, and we'll last slide and then we got to stop because there's more classes. Yes. Well, I think you must be using something different because the, the stuff we use has holes this big. I've never killed a snake with it. Okay, yeah, you can buy like bird netting, which is much thinner. This is pretty heavy duty. I mean, we've been using some of it for 15 years. And at the end of the season, you roll it up. So, you know, the problem with permanent fences is they grow up to, to stuff. It's a, a maintenance problem. With this, you just roll it up. I mean, it's a little bit of work, but we just fence the things we know the deer like. Okay, and, and the rest we don't fence. What does it look like? Oh, what do the deer not like? Well, I'm out of time. You've got other classes to go to. But just quickly, um, carrots, beets, Swiss chard, the, that family, spinach, um, carrots, beets, Swiss chard, um, green beans, Sweet potatoes, those are the things they like. That's what we fence. Sweet corn, um, what? Any kind of legume, they like the legume. So the legume family, the Chenopodiaceae family, I think is, isn't that the Swiss chard and beets and, and spinach? Um, yeah. Okay, well, I wish I had more time to answer questions, but we got to quit. Thank you all for coming. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.